How's it, guys? Can How's Ronnie it, Nick? I? Yeah, Ronnie, thanks for joining and tuning in with me and my buddy Ronnie. You know, we're recording on a Monday. I thought it was going to be a crazy one when we didn't get our full load shedding schedule this morning. But then I woke up to the news that Eddie Jones is the head coach of Australia. And then... Yes! That's still not the most crazy thing to happen this Monday. There's apparently a tiger loose in the south of Joburg, and it ate a bloody reindeer today. What is going on? No, man. Really? Yeah, I am not kidding you. It ate a reindeer in, saw, saw, in the south of Joburg. A tiger got loose, and then it uh, attacked some person and a dog, but I didn't pay too, pay too much attention. I thought this was uh, another one of those... Um, What's that show that, that Jerry Springer like show that you used to watch? Joe Exotic. <laughs> I figured that was what we were dealing with here. But, uh, yeah, eating a reindeer. Who yeah. holds reindeers in South Africa? That's also what I thought. I was like, and I know it's apparently a reindeer in Afrikaans is a tuckbok. Okay, a branch, a branch back. So yeah, crazy, crazy times here in the Rainbow Nation on a Monday. But yeah, Ronnie, we had a pretty eventful weekend. I was bloody exhausted. So Friday night, we had our, our friends around for a braai. That was quite lacquer there, off to Pakistan soon. And then Saturday, Ronnie and I, we both went to Loftus. Can you believe it? Yeah, I actually didn't expect to go to Loftus. I know you hinted at going, and I thought, yeah, okay, maybe why not? And then when we ended up going, I didn't think I'd enjoy myself as much as I did. Yeah, I got, got a little festive there. Hey, Sunday was a bit of a struggle, Ronnie. Yeah, so what they've done now, obviously, for those that don't know, is for many years you were not able to consume alcohol in the stadium. And they've now allowed that. So things get a little bit more festive there, drinking a beer and watching a game at the same time. Yeah, I think, you know, just talking now that we are chatting a little bit about Loftus, I mean, those fences that they put up around the field really, really bug me. You know, I did an article about it last year. I actually put a poll up on Punted now and the last 24 hours to see how everyone would vote on it. And... 78% said that it's a ridiculous idea to have those fences. That included three Bulls players. I don't know. For me, it's it's madness. Ronnie, what do you think of that? Why why would it be madness? I mean, lots of stadiums around the world. I mean, uh, Ellis Park has has got its own little fence. There's stadiums with moats going around. Why is it a ridiculous thing? So you think it's okay that they just slap up a fence and block off the front row's view with 20 minutes? Oh, okay. So, shame. Poor front row, yeah, okay, but I mean, let's let's just break it down. Loftus is uh, Loftus had a had a certain person called Pete Van Sale, which uh, removed a, a a referee from the field. So that's the first time I've ever seen something like that. I'm sure we'll talk about the second time we've ever seen something like that. But uh, they have crazies like that, do they not? Yeah, but you have to wonder sometimes, is it because they've got these extra measures, people feel more daring, or are the extra measures that necessary? Because I mean. Kings Park, you literally sit practically with your feet on the field and you rarely see someone running onto the pitch there. No, okay, but we also sat watching that game with a group of uh, tourists that were asking, you know, would we, you know, what would happen if they were to just go onto the field now? And we would say, oh, well, you could do it, but uh, 10 minutes before the game, they're going to put the fence up. And that was a deterrent saying, oh, well, I can't do it now because the fences are going up at any moment, so... But on that note, actually, we forgot to mention that there was, what, 10, 12 guys from Holland here, never been to a rugby game before, and we we sat with them at the stadium. And it was actually quite nice to see that the vibe that they had, and they really enjoyed their time at the stadium. It was nice to see them celebrate and know when to celebrate. 
That's uh, also somebody true, break yeah. through. They didn't randomly jump up and say, why is everyone cheering at this point? Though? Yeah, I, I think know. they liked Kurt Lawrence's step quite a bit there. But yeah, the one, the one guy, the one guy said when we walked into Loftus, he says, uh, "This look, this it reminds him of a prison." <laughs> You're right, eh? <laughs> you know, he's seen the inside of a prison in Bali or something, and this this uh, particular gate three corner of Loftus reminded him of that. See, I'm telling you, it's those fences, Ronnie. But on that note, there was a lot of Champions Cup action this weekend. Uh, let's start with the Sharks. Sharks thirty-two-three win over Bordeaux. That was a very big victory for the boys, an important one. And they are now the first South African team to qualify for the playoff stages. So is that is that that's official? They have qualified. Is that what you're saying? 100%. The Sharks have already qualified. You see, so so what I've obviously done over the last couple of months is, is drive home the fact that the Sharks are the world's most average team. And, uh, you know, they took that personally, it seems. Yeah, so in a roundabout way, what Ronnie is saying is that He's he's the reason the sharks are now successful. Yeah, 100%. you know, <laughs> You're the most... I spoke to I, I, I spoke to Neil Powell. You know, when we went to our Cape Town game, what was it? We watched Wales, and I uh, happened to go to the bathroom, and and he happened to take along with me, Neil, you know, uh, take a walk with me, and we walked him, and we were discussing game plan strategies, and looks like he's implementing what I said to him. Yeah, Ronnie, you know, it's actually quite impressive the influence you exercise over this game that we love so much. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, unbelievable. But, you know, speaking of Neil, he's doing very well at the moment. He's only had one loss in his tenure as coach, and that was a, a weekend team that traveled over in the URC. But the, the approach, and I mean, Buddha spoke about it, this one game at a time approach. It really seems to be working for the team. They're playing very, very well. Great to see Apalele Fassi back. Unfortunately, Buta did go down uh, injured. I had a little chat with him. He said he was going for the scans. He was supposed to get results today, but I haven't seen anything come out yet for an update. Another warrior is Bongi Mbonambi. He went off, off early. It takes quite a lot to hurt the big man, so I hope Bongi's doing okay. And I mean, two yellow cards for Bordeaux. I think that cost them dearly. Uh, two yellow cards? Yeah, I think they got a little bit frustrated as well because the Sharks were all over them. And you saw that uh, when, when uh, I want, I want, I'm going to pronounce, I'm going to butcher this this guy's name, Luca, or the scrambler for for Bordeaux went uh, went off to the ref and appealed for the eye gouge. Asked to have a look, yeah, for an eye potential eye gouge, which you know possibly wasn't an eye gouge, maybe it was, but I think it speaks to the fact that uh, sharks were all over them, very physical, and Bordeaux got a little bit desperate, maybe a little hot headed. Yeah, I think you're right. You know. Um... Also, just to lay it out there, Ronnie, I was the closest one to pronouncing the team's name correctly last week. It's no, Bordeaux. that's rubbish. No, it's not. Bordeaux Pegley. Yeah, pronounce it. Don't you're pronouncing the L. You shouldn't be doing that. Oh, whatever. You guys know you would have heard the commentary this weekend. You'll know that I'm correct. And Ronnie, as always, is wrong. And then, Ronnie, over to the Bulls. The game we were at, the Bulls winning that one 39-28. Quite satisfied with that win, I'm sure. You know, they actually needed to overcome a 30 points points difference there for what they suffered defeat to Exeter. So not the winning margin they would have wanted, but they did get the bonus points, so that counts for a lot. Sure. It was uh, look good game, though, because we were there. We were watching it. I felt it was quite exciting. Aside from the fact that they made me walk to the to the other side of Pretoria to fetch a beer, I did sit and watch most of the, the game. It was very exciting to watch. And, and I look, I'm a Sharks fan. Traditionally, Sharks fans do not support the Bulls. Yeah, that's also true. But it was lucky to be there and to, to watch some live rugby. And then, you know, Eskom, the only one we like, 
uh, with that name. He had a, a relentless performance for the Bulls. I thought he was very, very good. And then a bit of an incident there with Matthew Raynal. He substituted himself off at about the 60th minute. You know, he was struggling with his hamstrings in the altitude. And even commenting that, you know, he's too old when he was walking off the field. So he was replaced. And, you know, a lot of people saying that had quite a drastic change on the game because the ref that came on ended up giving a red card for the tackle on Kirtley Aronser. And Reynald may not have done so. So firstly, uh, nice to see a ref with a sense of humor. I thought Reynald handled it pretty well. Didn't hide behind the fact that uh, he just injured himself and, and subbed himself, which I thought was cool to see. Never actually seen a ref leave the field, really, except for when said Peter, Pete Van Sale, decided to take matters into his own hands many years ago. But, but you're right, with respect to the Kirtley Aronson, I didn't think it was a straight red. I thought that there was some mitigation in that uh, his arm slid up. But it, it, again, I, I don't, these things aren't as clear cut to me, at least. And I think if, if, I think a lot of people share that sentiment, these things aren't very clear cut. In some cases, I think some refs, some TMO teams, would have given a yellow for that. Yeah, you know, I think it was contact to the head. There was maybe a little bit of mitigation in there. You know, Luke Cowan-Dickey, the English hooker, coming out and saying rugby's gone soft and posting a picture of that. I don't know if I agree that that's an instance of rugby going soft, but like you say, it all comes down to interpretation on the day. And a tackle like that as a player these days, you know there's a high chance that you are going to, to get a red card for it. Stormers then, Sunday game, 28-14 win over London Irish. Good one for the Stormers, also bagging the bonus point. But, you know, the Stormers sort of lapsing or a lapse in concentration after the 50th minute. Is that sort of the price they have to pay for the high-intensity game that they do play for the first 50 minutes? No, I don't think so. I think you have to be able to play 18 minutes of rugby in the professional era. You can play, you know, maybe at 80% for 60 minutes and then put your foot down when the bomb squad comes up, comes on. I don't think uh, you you could you could say you're paying a price for the physicality for the first fifty minutes. That's that's amateurish. So I mean, a twenty eight fourteen win looks good on paper, but when you consider the fact that London Irish had thirteen men on the field for forty minutes due to two red cards, fourteen no. difference should have been double that. No, you're a shark supporter. I mean, you should go back a couple of years and, and know that the sharks played their best rugby when there's uh, two people off the field, you know, taking a win over the Chiefs down in Waikato, two red cards, or I can't remember what it was, you know, how many, we basically had no one on the field and we played the best rugby ever. And that's, and that happens often when the team's down uh, in players, they just, the other team, team, players seem to pick up the slack. So I think it's very difficult to just say, oh no, you know, the opposition's a player or two down, we're going to run over them. That's, that's not always the case. Yeah, I think you're right there. So Stormers, they need to to up the ante a bit. But maybe they're just timing their peak in the competitions well. I mean, they did do that last year. And they're still getting out a win, which is what matters at the end of the day. Then I just thought a game that deserved a bit of a special mention. Osprey's 35-29 Montpellier. One of the Welsh teams from the URC getting a win over a big French team. Yes. So very, very yeah, well done to the Yeah, but Ospreys. we say that though. And we we do say that though, and absolutely all credit to to the Welsh teams, to to Ospreys. Well done to you guys. And you know we we look at Montpellier as one of the super teams, right? In in top fourteen, but for me the French, it, it, it's almost like any team can beat any other team on 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 any given day. It's all over the place, really. And and start from say second on the log in the top fourteen, going down by twenty thirty points three weeks ago against the 
the Lions. So they seem to be to be very haphazard. Either that or they've just their teams really prioritized top 14 over the likes of the champions and slash challenge cup. Yeah, I think you have a point there, Ronnie. The French and it seems like the international team has actually sorted that out because that has been a, a long time issue for French rugby. So if it's only at club level, they won't mind it as much. And then uh, La Rochelle 7, Ulster 3. That was a very, very small margin for, for a game. Didn't watch the game, though. What was the, Do we know what the weather conditions were like? Because that, that, to me, looks like it was bucketing down with, with rain. Yeah, you did, like uh, meter deep snow or something like that. <laughs> meter deep snow or something like that, because 7-3 is a low-scoring game. Traditionalists will say that, that was a, that's a good game. Two strong teams up against one another. Fair contest. And the uh, everyday rugby fan would probably say a very boring game, not enough action. No, that's for sure. And then you look over to lose getting a 27 win away over Sale Sharks. Five points for them. Uh, that was a, quite a game. I watched the highlights from that. And there was a moment in that game where Intermac made a massive break. He had two players on his outside and DuPont on his inside. And DuPont was covered. And he decided to swing it to DuPont. And I think that's just the instruction now. When you've got a player like him, you give him the ball. It's like us with Colby. Right. We do that a lot. We I, And every time when the Springboks play, I say, just swing the ball to Colby. But yeah, you know, I think people mark him these days so much. It's quite difficult for them to get away. But they still you know, pull a rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. And then over to Clermont versus Leicester Tigers. Clermont going down 29-44 at home. Big performance from Andre Pollard. He got through a good game. I mean, four conversions, two penalties, and a try assist. Very good outing for the guy who's now back from his third injury. Big performance from Leicester, considering they just lost Borthwick to to the national setup as well. That's also I forgot to mention that. So losing a head coach and putting on a, an away performance like that in France to a very powerful Clermont team. Very well done, Tigers. And then we go over to the Challenge Cup. Pau, I thought that was a game that deserved a mention. 15-21 to the Dragons. Another URC team getting the win there in France. See, so this competition is also very exciting. I know it's a Challenge Cup and whatnot, but, you know, Pau beating uh, uh, Dragons away from home. And then, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be fair to say, okay, home field advantage, they're going to take it up to the next level. And then Dragons coming in and beating uh, Pau away from their home. And that just makes this competition very exciting, seeing these matchups and then seeing them go two different ways on two different occasions. So that's very exciting, right? Because I thought Power had this in the back. But then yeah. again, well done to Dragons, a URC team, very strong. When we like to see that from our fellow URC compatriots. Without a doubt, well done from the Dragons. And then Scarlet's getting a 2017 win over the Cheetahs. But difficult for the Cheetahs, you know, playing all their games overseas, including their home fixtures. And I mean, they lost Frontstein and Ruan Pinar late in the week. So a bit of an adjustment for the side there and a big loss of experience going into that fixture. Yeah, I think it's difficult for the Cheetahs. I think you asked me the question over the weekend, or it could have been my colleague that said, that asked, you know, did the Cheetahs actually come home for Christmas or did they stay there? Either way, it would have been very disruptive uh, to them, you know, being away from the family or flying back to Bloemfontein and then all the way back again to their base in Italy, uh, challenging for the poor cheetahs. Yeah, and then a disappointing showing from the Lions. They were leading 7-0 at halftime, but unfortunately went down 17-7 to start a front. So difficult for the men from, from Joburg, but I, I still I don't think that's such a bad loss. 
playing a French powerhouse in France, 10 points is really not that bad. And like I said, stuff I'm saying, at least before the weekend, we're second on the log on the top 14. So, you know, all things considering, they should be looked at as the second strongest uh, French side. And the French themselves are very strong, national team, um, all their teams as well. So I don't think that's such a bad showing. It's just unfortunate the Lions can't seem to be string, stringing together, you know, a couple of wins. No, that's for sure. And I mean, it's showing the strength of this competition over and over again as we go through these scores. And then another URC team, Connacht, 61-5 for Breve. Big, big win for Connacht. They'll be happy with that. I think getting 50 or more over any team, you know, their defense imploded. Yeah. yeah. Good on Connacht. Connacht's a pretty tough team, eh? You know, playing them now a couple of times in the URC and seeing what they've got in the bag. They're not a team you just walk over. They are a very strong side. They've got some quality players and can, you know, play some very attractive rugby as well. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, Ronnie. And then I just want to give you a statistic here, which absolutely blew my mind. From this weekend's Champions and Challenge Cup action, of the 16 URC teams involved in the competition, which is all of them, we won 13 of those fixtures. Yeah. Well done. That's unbelievable and shows the strength of the URC. Very, very happy that we're participating in that competition. You know, well, Ronnie, I've got a, I've got a stat that I think before we move on as well that I'd like to raise. Looking at the Challenge Cup specifically, I think that some people do need to look at the format and the structure and who qualifies where. The reality is that the top six on each pool go through, and the sixth place team currently in Pool A that could qualify is Perpignan with no wins whatsoever and um, no, you're looking so, at the challenge cup now yeah that's what i said i mean yeah. the challenge cup yeah so you've got a team that could potentially qualify without having won a single game something that they do need to look at so it's going to come down to points difference i believe since no bonus points exist unless they got a bonus point loss or there's a couple of them with the same number of bonus points so it's going to come down to who lost the least or who lost the most graceful or termers that is actually quite surprising. And yeah, you're right. That's definitely something that's going to have to be looked at. That's You can't go through to the playoff stages having not won a game. It's a little bit absurd. Yeah, having firstly not won a game, not drawn a game. You know, there's one, two, three, four teams from 69th that all have a single bonus point. So technically they would qualify on that first. Then it comes down to points difference. And Perpignan is negative uh, 36 and the next team is Bath with negative 37. So... It's a little bit unfortunate to, to see. Yeah, that that is a little bit crazy. Uh, I'm going to have to check that all out as well because that is madness that a team can get through with a performance like that. Speaking of performances, I think I want to have a special mention for Sio Khaleesi at the moment. He was on fire for the Sharks against Bordeaux all over the place. And I honestly feel like Sio is in the best form he's ever been in at the moment. Don't really know how to respond to that without it sounding like I'm disagreeing with you. I feel like he's been, he's, he was more of a, he was a better, he was a stronger player at times. You know, 2019, around the, around the World Cup time, he was an explosive and, and very dominant player on the field. And I think what's, I want to say that he's still playing very well, but he's, he's, he's gone into the shadows, he's gone into the trenches, I believe. He's incredibly consistent, incredibly uh, reliable. And it's almost, he's almost taken on that John Smith well from a decade and a half ago where you just absolutely can rely on the person. You know, he's not going to let you down. And, uh, you know, he may not get the most meters gained or, you know, steal the most balls or something like that. But he's going to be 
good performer every every round. Not just an average performer, he's going to be a good, good all-round performer every match that he plays. So I want to say I agree with you, but he's changed his role from being this you know, really exceptional player to being this incredibly reliable and consistent player. Sort of like the way I feel about Am. Yeah, I think you need to rewatch this weekend's game because he wasn't only reliable, he was all over the place. For me, Sia was the top performer for the Sharks by far this weekend. Stadium entertainment is something that's interesting, interestingly been all over social media, you know, talking about the kind of music that they're playing in the stadiums, what they're doing to keep the crowds engaged. You know, I felt like the crowd at Loftus was a little bit small this weekend. I did post that on the socials and we spoke a little bit about it. You know, is the music in the stadium good music for the occasion? Is it something that needs to change? You know, three quarters of it felt like it came out of a Kurt Darren CD and, and I sang along with a lot of that and I felt like uh, I was going to break out into a socky there on my own in the middle of the stadium. I thought it was very fun and exciting. Even the Dutch the Dutch travellers that were there were also fist pumping and it was very exciting. Maybe it was just the beer. And good old Sister Bettina always being played. I don't know how that song became like the rugby anthem When if you actually just think what the song is about. It's madness. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't exactly know how 100% what the song is about. I've just always known that it's not exactly the most, um, <laughs> I don't know what the word is. It is it is an abrasive song. But it's it's, it's not family song. friendly. No, no, that's my impression as well. But I definitely think more can be done to engage the fans. You know, we have spoken a couple of times about the effort that they make down there at Kings Park. And it shows if you look at the crowd attendances at the various stadiums. Good that the Bulls are now allowing you to drink in the stadium. Maybe you'd get a better crowd if it didn't take 25 to 30 minutes and hiking Kilimanjaro to get a beer. For sure. But yeah, entertainment's a difficult one. And the South African rugby's always tried and kind of failed. And when it had those cheerleaders and the shark splashes and DHL had a bunch of cheerleaders as well. And yeah, I don't always feel like that's fits. that's fitting with rugby for sure. So... And uh, yeah, entertainment's a difficult one. I mean, there's definitely something being done right in th- with the T20 cricket competition that's currently going on in South Africa because it's the first time that they've hosted it and the stadiums are packed. Uh, so what are they doing that the rugby teams and the rugby competition is? Yeah, I think we speak a lot about, you know, the traditional values of rugby, but I do think in some instances you need to branch out now, do better, because you need to increase those revenue streams through ticket sales, getting people to to the stadiums. I must say, I feel like the ticket prices for the games is not bad at the moment. You can get into, into a game for 50 bucks. Even 150 yeah, bucks to get... sit in the main stand is not that pricey. Okay, you say that, though, but with the uh, current fuel price and ESCOM's electricity hikes, 150 is a bit of a bit of a uh, difficult one to swallow. And then just that everyone knows something I actually only really recently realized, the Springbok players will be taking an enforced break during February and March. So they'll be getting that much needed off season. So last big push for them. And that's probably why they're managing to play so well, because they know they've got a rest coming up. I mean, they've played nonstop for almost a year now. It's absolutely necessary though. We've said it how many times on this podcast, you know, it's it's a year-long season. We spoke about it with Buddha Chamberlain last week. It's a year. It's 365-day season. It's, it's it's difficult. And then we spoke about the number of hours that players are kept at playing with. So uh, does that mean we'll see them a little bit more now between now and, well, I suppose it's two weeks until February already. So, you know, we should see the Springboks then and then uh, they'll take a force break and uh, give, uh, give some other guys some opportunities to play. 
wonder what that's going to do because it, it is getting to the crunch time of the URC as also, yeah, I suppose they'll be back in time for the Heineken Cup though. See, I feel like they were smart because they're giving them the Six Nations window off. So the other sides will also be without their internationals, which I think is going to help the situation a little bit. Uh, so somebody used their brain there. Somebody yeah. pulled out a, a piece of paper and drew a plan there. Yeah, yeah so that, that, that was well thought out. And then, you know, we mentioned it when we started the pod, Ronnie. Absolutely bonkers. Eddie Jones now in for the Wallabies. You know, does he have a realistic chance of getting the Wallabies to a World Cup final? Well, this kind of looks like a uh, a repeat of of Rassi Rasmus coming in shortly before the World Cup and Alistair, Alistair could see again in the boot. Australia or Rugby Australia definitely thinks like they, they you know thinks they're making the right move by removing old Dave Rennie. I don't think Dave Rennie was such a bad uh, coach as well. I thought he had it in him. I don't know what Eddie Jones is going to be able to do that Dave Rennie wasn't able to do. But yeah, let's let's see how that goes. It's it was a bit of a shock for me. I had no, I did not see this coming at all. I think we may have speculated about all sorts of moves and stuff like that on the podcast. Maybe not on the podcast. I don't know. But him going to Australia, wow! It it goes back to that that video where Eddie Jones lost it at that that fan that called him a traitor. So I hope yeah. that fan feels like a bit of a moron now. Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, he's been given a long term contract, so he'll coach to this World Cup, and then he's also got the next four year cycle also taking charge of the Wallaroos. But that's my question now. You know, him and Steve Borthwick, similar positions. How much pressure are they really under to perform at this World Cup? No, they can't be. You can't expect a coach to come in with a year left. And in Eddie's case, 10 months or nine months, if my maths is correct, and, and, and perform. I mean, that's that's hardly any time, right? I mean, I, I almost think it's a, it's a blessing to him. It was a blessing to Rossi. You know, he, you know, winning the World Cup was like, wow, we didn't expect that. You know, our plan was to win 2023, not 2019. And he pulled a rabbit out of the hat. And I think they're in the same position now. If they do well, well done to them. They're legends. And if they don't do so well, you know, they can just say, well, we only had a couple of months to to do something. So you don't think it's one of those situations where he went for a job interview and there were big promises thrown on the table. Now you're sitting at the desk and you're like, oh, fuck. Well, you know, he's an arrogant person, Eddie Jones. And I think that's why people don't like him because he can't, he's he's quite the arrogant person. But to be such a to be a legend coach of world rugby, kind of need to be a bit of a bit of an asshole, a bit of an arrogant uh, ass. And and you know, maybe he did back it up. He said, Look, we're gonna do this, I'm gonna take us all the way. And he said that though, in his you know, he looks forward to taking his nation to the World Cup and, and coming home with the World Cup. So he said it to the media could just yeah. as well have made uh, an even bigger promise behind closed doors. And, you know, maybe his personality fits in a little bit better with the Aussie setup. We've got a couple of friends over that side. They've got a, a lack of sense of humor. So maybe Eddie does fit in there. And, you know, maybe that lack of pressure, like you say, with Rossi from the coaches makes an easier team environment and is actually helpful to them on their quest to the World Cup. But I am now praying for an England-Australia quarterfinal and for the Aussies to knock England out there. That will be absolutely priceless. It's written in the I stars. Mean, it's written in the stars. Imagine the post-match conference uh, with Eddie Jones after knocking uh, England out. Oh, what was that about a chariot uh, again? <laughs> <laughs> the chariot, the chariot's on fire. Uh, just, uh, just, uh, just, uh, um, I just want to make a point. There's a lot of screaming going on around my uh, house here. I am not uh, punishing this child. The child children are just playing soccer side but uh, i think it's it's testament to what soccer players are like very dramatic fair enough 
Then just the last point I want us to discuss, Ronnie, is the cards. Do we need to see an introduction of a 20-minute red card? Yes. Because this weekend there were five yeah. red cards in the Champions Cup. That's that's contest brewing. I thought you were going to say, do we need to see the introduction of a sort of a challenge card, right? An orange card. You know, I think I think that's necessary. We need something between a, a, a yellow and a normal penalty, something that uh, where the captains of each team have a little bit more say and say, you know, can we have something reviewed and can we potentially send this player off five minutes or something or have them reviewed after the game or specific incident. That I think is important, something just to bridge the gap between a yellow and a normal penalty. And then, uh, yeah, I think we've spoken about the 20-minute red card before. Can't remember where I stood on uh, stood on it last time. Probably going to be a hypocrite here by saying that, uh, yes, we do need a 20-minute red card. Especially, you know, if, if if there's a controversial call, controversial red card in the first half and our team's down to 14 for the rest of the game. I know earlier in this podcast I said, you know, teams play better when they've got less players on the field, you know. But uh, the reality is it is very difficult still to play with less players on the field. You don't want, you don't want to have to focus on uh, playing at 120% just to win the game now for the rest of the game because there was a controversial decision. I would say, yeah, so 20-minute red cards, bring it on. Yeah, we've done a lot of agreeing on this episode, Ronnie. It must be because of the crazy day that South Africa has been having. But I have to agree with you. I think there's definitely a need for that 20-minute red card to keep the contest alive and keep the fans happy because you don't go to a game to watch 13 of your team on the field with two on the bench. Well, you said it there, though. Keep the contest alive. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what it's thing. about. Lacquer, guys. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode. Ronnie and I are going to be trying out something new on the pod from next week. We want to get our listeners a little bit more involved in the podcast. You know, Ronnie's a little bit boring for me. So guys, drop us a message on any of our social media or pop us an email. Either Ronnie or myself will reply to you and hit us up with a topic you want to hear discussed on the podcast. The winning topic each week, the one that uh, Ronnie or I pick, you guys will also earn yourself some lacquer punted merch, a hat, a golf towel, t-shirts, those sort of things. So yeah, I'll catch you all back here next week, guys. Have a lacquer one. (laughs) 